and let them try the newer version of plant-based meat. When they try it, they find out, okay, it's very different from what they had before, like 40 years ago or 30 years ago. And a lot of them actually couldn't recognize it's plant-based. They just pick from the menu and they try it. When they know lipid, they say, oh, it's plant-based meat. I, I didn't know that when I buy the products. So that's the really interesting part is that we are bringing the new impression about alternative food to the consumer. But at the same time, leverage the base markets over here in Taiwan that some population will try it and eat it like returning customers. This is Startup Island Taiwan, the channel all about cutting-edge technology, influential global tech players, and Taiwan. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John with the Asian Armature YouTube channel. I'm your guest host for today. And I'm here with Michelle and Jen Yu, co-founders of Lipid. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Hi. You guys just flew in from Egypt last week, you said? Uh, we actually flew back from Singapore. And then three weeks ago, we went to Egypt for several different events. Yeah, we went to Egypt for COP27. This year is a big year for food tech because, I mean, people didn't recognize food tech can really be important and critical for climate change. And this year, a lot of food tech companies try to serve samples and educate how climate change is linked to the agriculture and food industry really well. So we went there and bring our ideas and innovation over there to let people see the newest cutting edge technology. So what does Lipid do? What's your mission and what's your products? Um, so Lipid makes alternative fat. So there are a lot of alternative proteins on the market right now, but then they don't really taste like real meats. So Lipid is bridging the gap between the taste of real meats and also the alternative meats. So we're specialized in is that we have this very special fat. Using plant source, um, we can make it to behave like animal fat. And how did you guys come to co-found this interesting company here? It was actually a funny story. We were actually just neighbors in Cornell. When we did our grad school, I was doing PhD in chemical engineering. And Michelle did her food science PhD. We were just friends and never talk about co-founding the startup. But at some point when we discussed this idea and seeing the challenge between how to really make plant-based food or alternative food taste like meat or food, we find out fat is the critical missing part. So we just decided to go for it. And um, going back now to COP27, what was that experience like and what do you guys kind of learn there? It was definitely a very exciting event. It's probably the biggest event that we've attended right now internationally. So it's very interesting because as Jen Yu mentioned, this is probably the first year that we have, you know, a specific section that is specifically talking about food technology and how food technology can, you know, bridge the gap or change or um, help with sustainable issues. What's kind of like the challenge? Like what is the impact that food has on climate change or climate situation? I think a lot of people focus on, you know, carbon capturing or, you know, fancy technology. But um, really, if you want to reach um, mass adoptions, it really has to be something simple where everyone can adopt right away and make changes in their every seconds. Like the easiest way is food. Got it. And um. Tell me a little bit about this technology that you're kind of bringing to the market. I think I read something about micro-encapsulation technology. Give me a little bit of a primer on what that means and how it works. Basically, micro-encapsulation technology has been widely used in the drug industry. Um, so this is 
probably the first time we brought it into the food industry where we apply it to, um, you know, fat encapsulations. So a brief background about this technology is that microencapsulation is essentially creating a capsule, but at a very minute scale. So like very small scales where you can't really see it. And um, because we are utilizing all plant materials, we're trying to mimic animal products, plant ingredients or plant oils usually comes in liquid forms and then animal fat usually comes in solid forms. So we really need a technology where we can structure the liquid into a solid format. And that's where our uh, microencapsulation technology comes in place. It is usually used to protect um, susceptible ingredients that, you know, are easily affected by the environment. So it's kind of like a trying to turn plant fat into kind of like an animal fat cell or something like that or a uh, structure a structure yeah structure. and what does what's kind of like the animal fat structure what is that kind of like i think you can imagine like a marbling steak mm. or a bacon just think about the bacon right now yeah. you see the fat tissue over there right and there isn't any plant oils that can perform like that but we leverage encapsulation to make plant oils become uh stable under cooking temperature or room temperature, like the bacon fat, and also bringing the juiciness and the luxurious mouthfeel into the product. Got it. So you're saying the plant oils, the way they come in, the way they, I guess you extract them from a plant, it's not even close to what an animal fat. Totally different. Even though the words sound similar. Sounds (laughs) similar. It's very different. Wow. And how long have you been working on refining this technology and kind of turning it into something commercially ready? Yeah, it's it's a very long journey. I would say, to be honest, Michelle spent all her PhD on this. So <laughs> that's that's already five, six years, right? Wow. And, yeah, and we started Lipid in 2020. Mm. Uh, and right now it's already two, three years. And we managed to bring it from lab scale to like pilot scale this year, which is a big achievement for the company that we really show that this technology, it's not only workable in the lab, but also workable in the mass production. So when you're eating like a piece of meat and fat in particular, what are the signals going to your brain that makes your brain register it as fat? Like what are kind of like the hallmarks of like a fatty piece of meat? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And I think you just think about eating meats right now. And it's that juicy mouthfeel. Like the coatings in your mouth make you feel like you are eating meat and that's all come from fat. So that's why we kind of like call ourselves like a pioneer in the alternative food industry because it's not just protein. It's really the fat that bring you that juicy mouthfeel. And if we can mimic that mouthfeel and we give you other different nutritional profile, you will all feel like you're eating something like meat or close to a fatty part. So is that mouthfeel give you the feeling? And also the other very big part of it is actually in flavor. So the taste and aroma and those aroma also carry by fat and lipids. So does the plant oil taste similar to kind of if you were to remove the structure off like an animal fat cell, does that actually taste similar to plant oils or what's the, do you have to modify it to kind of make it taste similar as well? So what Jin Yu mentioned is that one very specific part of plant oil is that it's liquid, gives you a runny feeling. So although it's oily, but it's still liquid in the form. However, in animal fat, um, when you cook it, it can create both the oily, greasy texture, but you also have that bite feeling when you're biting a piece of meat. So um, that's definitely the texture difference. 
Also, in terms of flavors, when you're cooking a piece of meat, there are so many chemical reactions going on between, you know, the protein part and also the oil part and also all the other ingredients, which makes the aroma and also the taste of a piece of meat. So you really need the fat components to be inside of plant-based meat or meat alternatives in order to achieve the whole experience of meat tasting. So it's kind of like a really interesting challenge, right, as you started to work on this technology, because you're thinking about all these different chemical reactions and all these differences between plants and meats. Do you feel like you have to replicate all of that? Or do you think like, okay, we need to get 80% of this, 80% of that? Like, what was kind of like your approach to scaling it? Eventually, we definitely want to replicate the whole experience. Yeah, but we we actually use first principle to decompose what fat contribute in the products, like appearance, texture, mouthfeel, uh, and flavor. So we all tear it apart so we can we have a better way to evaluate what is good or what is need to be improved. And in the very beginning, right now, we actually focus more on the texture and mouthfeel. So we do actually have several product lines that is neutral flavor. But neutral flavor is sometimes good for the first usage and application because for a lot of plant-based meat, they already have their own flavoring compounds in it. So we just provide the juiciness and also the fatty mouthfeel. That's the first thing we want to achieve. And after that, we can start to combine other parts like different flavors, different reactions, and also even different appearance. So that's that's how we think about how we can make the fat better and more like animal fat. What are your thoughts about, you know, we've all heard about like impossible foods and beyond meat and all that. They talk about, oh, what they think is the secret to replicating meat, right? Impossible foods talks all about like hime and all that, right? What are your kind of opinions and thoughts regards to that? Do you think they're right? Do you think maybe they're missing something? I mean, everyone is right because meat, it's so many ingredients in it. And every of it, I think it's very key. That's why I think our approach is pretty unique but also at the same time important because fat is very obvious, the very big part of a meat. Like in a burger, 40% is fat and in a bacon, 50%. And in some wagyu beef, like 70% is fat, right? So I think everyone is doing a right claim and from different perspective. And eventually if we can combine everything together, then potentially we can make something that's really tastes like 100% like meat. But we have also have a pretty different perspective on that is that we just want to create something that is delicious. So we don't really need to replicate the whole experience. We just need to make delicious food. And at the same time, if it's sustainable, that, that achieve our goal. Yeah. And if it can convince more people to adopt, I think that would make a great impact. I've read some kind of criticisms about like Beyond Meat or something, Impossible Meat, that it replicates a lot of the unhealthiness of some of the of real meat. Do you think plant-based meats that are synthetically built or synthetically made are are necessarily healthy, can be said to be healthy? Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot of products on the market right now, because they're new to the market, so they have to find some ingredients that can be temporarily used, but then eventually 
in the long run, it can be replaced by newer technology like our fat. And our fat are specifically designed to be healthier than, you know, the traditional saturated fat that are utilized in the market. As compared to, you know, coconut oil or palm oil, not only our options are our, our fat are more sustainable, but it is also healthier because we're utilizing a lot of unsaturated fat in our system. So um, we can reduce 97% of saturated fat compared with those coconut oil or palm oil. So it's definitely healthier options. I mean, what Michelle is trying to say is that people think about plant-based food not healthy. That's because a lot of saturated fat in it, which is similar to animal products. But we, we managed to have a technology that we can reduce saturated fat, but provide this better mouthfeel and texture at the same time. So we are kind of like providing a, a really good solution over here to make the food sustainable, tasty, and healthy at the same time. Yeah, that's our goal. What's been some of the challenges of uh, scaling, like trying to turn something that was created in the lab into <laughs> something that ships to hundreds of thousands of people to a certain place? Like what's been kind of the, the pain of that? Yeah. So scaling up, I think it's, it's always like a headache for every startup doing physical science because we need to do a real production and it's pretty capex intense in terms of we need a larger equipment and a larger line. For me, I would say the biggest challenge right now is that we are doing a pretty new processing. So we don't know what works and what don't work, right? So we really have to do a lot of trial and errors. So how do we manage those resources and try like experiments at the same time is very challenging. You mentioned that microencapsulation is used a lot. Have you been able to bring that over to use that to your advantage? That's the approach we are adopting over here is that we actually do a lot of trials, not with the food industry, but with drug delivery industry and also some cosmetic industry, because those industry, they already have similar experience in what we are doing. Uh, and we borrow that and work with those talents and professionals in those industry. And when we prove it, we bring it back to the food industry and then set up the facility and also set up like a production line on it. Yeah, so that's our approach to manage the resource and also make sure the scale up can be very like on the timeline, very doable, but not just exploit with like ourselves. What's been some of the advantages of uh, doing production in Taiwan? It's pretty surprising that a lot of equipment supplier is actually in Taiwan. Oh, really? And we didn't know that before. So that's a big surprise is that we've actually find out at least five or six uh, equipment suppliers there in Taiwan. And it's just a lot better when we are here and just talk to them. They can do a lot of customization because the equipment we are buying is pretty big. So we don't really need to ship it out to back in US. We just do it over here in Taiwan locally with them. So they came to our factory several times trying to help us set up a line. I think that's very unique advantage comparing with if we want to set up a line and buy the equipment from Asia and then ship it to the States. It's just more complicated. What's your facility like in Taiwan? How would I imagine it to look like? Yeah, just like a food production lines with several big equipment in it with tanks, and, <laughs> yeah, heaters, coolers, yeah, coolers. coolers. <laughs> yeah, but it's very interesting that when we set up those line over here, uh, we actually source it from different suppliers and do a lot of customization. I think that's one big advantage over here is that those suppliers, they are all very open. So when we need something to be changed, they just change it for us and they have a lot of conversation with us. So it's kind of like part of our team. 
kind of surprising to think about it that like these companies they must be very confused as like they're doing drug encapsulation suddenly this plant fat company shows up to talk to them i think it's also pretty new for them and that's why get them excited and then that's probably the reason they like to test with us because maybe they can o- open up a new market in the food sector um you uh did a deal with luisa coffee which is a chain of stores here in taiwan uh, how's that been like? Like, what's that? What kind of new demands have they brought in? How did that happen? How did it develop? So with Luisa Coffee, I mean, the first thing which we got really happy about is that it's already six months from our first launch, and you can still see our name and our poster everywhere in Luisa Coffee. So that's a very big achievement for us to be validated by such big chain that our technology really make the product better. And the consumer like it. That's why they keep selling it and even keep advertising this products. So that's the first thing I want to bring up. And behind the scene, we definitely spend a lot of time working with them. Like we actually do six to eight months development together to try to make that burger patties and also test about the logistic together. That's also their first time launch plant-based food in their stores, and that's why we spend a lot of time trying to tune the formulation, the taste. Uh, and also, I would say logistic because they are big chain store. They are almost 550 stores everywhere in Taiwan. So we also have to do a lot of testing. Like when we ship those product out, can we make the texture and the consistency the same? Yeah. So we spend a lot of time just in R and D together. And when we feel confident enough that it's really great, then we launch the products. And right now, look like the result is what we expect. Was there anything you had to modify in particular that they came back after from like the first drafts? I think、um, originally when we provide our fat to them, because one uniqueness of our fat is that we have a very high melting point behavior. So our fat doesn't melt at really high cooking temperatures. And then so originally when we provide those fat to them, they think that the fat was too high of a melting temperature. So we have to tune the melting temperature a little bit so that it can, you know, roughly mimics the tasting experience of a burger. Yeah. So I'm actually kind of curious about it, your thoughts about what does commercialization mean for this industry, for the plant-based meat industry? Like, do they envision kind of commercialization as like scale or kind of total replacement? Like, what is kind of in your sense that long-range goal? So I just hear a pretty interesting term two weeks ago in Singapore.、Uh, they call it complementary protein, complementary meat. So it's not really about replacing like the animal meat. It's about we provide new options and different options for consumer to choose and pick what they like. And even though you you hear about a lot of plant-based food right now, it's only two percent of traditional meat. So it's still like a long way to go. And not to mention, I mean, if you think about how like human population grows. We'll probably have 50 billion or more people. So there are just a lot of new opportunity coming out. That's why we call it complementary meat. It's not about competition. It's about providing different options for consumers. Do you worry about like、um, trying to be too much like regular meat, and then people start seeing that as like a problem or kind of like a if it's too complementary or if it's like you're looking too much for a substitute, then it's difficult to compete against the scale of the traditional meat industry, right? Yeah, that's why commercialization of alternative food is very, very hard because we are actually competing with an industry that is developed for hundreds of years, right? Like if you look at meat industry, it's already developed for so long, and that's why we can get those animal meats in a cheap price right now. 
And if you look at the plant-based food, we are actually in the early stage. It's probably like just this 10 years or even five years, people start to spend a lot of more resource and attention on this. So this is just like the early stage of the plant-based food industry. So in terms of commercialization, I also hear another pretty interesting strategy is that we should actually leverage animal meat industry, their facilities or their resource and experience in industrialize the whole meat industry. And if you can borrow that idea and that resource, then potentially we can bring plant-based meat industry a lot faster to the industry scale. Do you envision like some sort of complementary use case between like off the top of my head, like you put alternative fats into like a chicken or something, like yeah. a chicken breast exactly, without a lot of fat. Yeah. yeah, like hybrid products. Hybrid products. Yeah. Wow. That would be kind of almost like a value add to a certain meat. Like then you would be able to say it's like an alternative Wagyu. Yeah. So you can imagine there are actually several different approaches. It's not very strict that just vegan or just vegetarian. They are also hybrid approach. And sometimes even cell culturing, there's still a debate whether we should count it as a vegan or not. Right. So it's just like a lot of different options coming out for consumers and not really, oh, we want to make everything vegan or something like that. What are your thoughts on cell culturing meat? It's definitely a very interesting topic, and it's definitely, I would see the impact of how it provides to the industry, but definitely in terms of innovation time and also, you know, R&D time, it definitely needs a longer time. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. So Taiwan actually has like a really interesting kind of plant-based meat industry. It's kind of, but I've tasted it too. I've eaten a lot of it, and it's, I can't really say it's, that great? Like what's kind of the landscape of that industry? Because you've already kind of jumped into it a little bit with Luisa. What kind of future steps you want to take with that? Yeah. So I think this is two questions over here. The first one is for Taiwan's plant-based meat market, it's actually longer history comparing with other countries. Like people in Taiwan eat vegan foods or those plant-based burger patties 40 years ago. So it's nothing new. People all have some impression on vegan food and probably their families or friends, they all have some friends or families members that are eating those meats or vegan products pretty regularly. So that's one good part of it is that we have a base market that at least those people, they will eat plant-based food no matter what. And the second thing is like, how do we evolve? And that's why we pick our first partner as Luisa Coffee but not other vegan food chain stores or vegan food restaurants. Because Luisa Coffee, their target customer is nothing about vegetarians. It's really just no more mass consumer who like coffee. And when we collaborate with Luisa Coffee, our target is the same. We want to target some flexitarian or meat eaters and let them try the newer version of plant-based meat. When they try it, they find out, okay, it's very different from what they had before, like 40 years ago or 30 years ago. And a lot of them actually couldn't recognize it's plant-based. They just pick from the menu and they try it. When they know lipid, they say, oh, it's plant-based feed. I, I didn't know that when I buy the products. So that's the really interesting part is that we are bringing the new impression about alternative food to the consumer. But at the same time, leverage the base markets over here in Taiwan that some population will try it and eat it like returning customers. For the, in terms of like the science and like what's the technology and the, and the product itself, like what's next? What's the roadmap? So um, right now we're focused on bringing the texture, the juiciness into the plant-based meat. The next step will mainly focused on, you know, bring additional layers of flavors and more complex texture into different kinds of 
products, meat products are not just limited to you know burger patties. It can be expanded to all kinds of whole cut meats and can also be applied into different food sectors. So our next move will be probably going that way, moving into different food sectors. Anything you want to pitch or um... <laughs> maybe yeah, if you got a chance to hear this podcast, then definitely try our products in Luisa Coffee. And we also have another、uh, launch in a restaurant called Space Bowl in Yongkang.、Uh, that's a very different test for us because for burger patties in Luisa, it's more like Western dishes, and but we really want to try something that is more like Taiwanese cuisine and Asian focus. So we make a bowl together, like a paper flavored bowl, and it tastes really good in Yongkang. So definitely go try it and just keep following us. I mean, we will launch some new products come out next year, which is really great. And it's the first time in the world that we launch those type of products, so I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. I really want to try one of these burgers now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm starving. Getting hungry, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>